listen to our voice. <laughs> Read me a story about Bigfoot. <laughs> okay, okay. Ready? You know, actually, okay. when you saw me this afternoon, did you see the shirt I was wearing? I did not. I was it, just so it excited to pass by. The Church of the Toad. It had a Colorado River toad. Was there? Yes, I actually yes, did notice yep. that you were wearing a frog. That was well, one of the, a to- How are, do you tell the difference between a toad and a frog? You have to lick it. Like, I mean, just visually, uh-huh. toads are the bumpy ones. Okay. But yeah, they don't usually have the webbed feet. Okay. But yeah, that's an organization dedicated to toad lickery. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a hobby? You thought I was joking. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. There are some species of toads where their venom gets people high. What? And some people will lick them. Other people will, this is sad, kill them and like dry it out and smoke it. But now they have come up with a synthetic version, so you don't have to kill toads anymore. But it is it is like a real thing where people oh. would just lick the toad. And because the venom is toxic, but if you only have a little bit of it, you will see visions. Like some indigenous cultures did it for like vision quest things. Oh, Hippies do it just to get high. That's what was going on in Salem. Can we start saying that? You know, actually, my father, in all of his free time, comes up with stupid joke theories and he said it was tainted turtle meat from the long sea voyages. Ah, <laughs> well, tainted turtle well, Giles, meat. Giles Corey did have the, the, turtles, the turtles on his nipples. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Is this something that somebody said? Our, yeah, it, our it, familiar episode. Giles yeah. Corey had turtle familiars? We Hanging from his nipples. I need to so listen to this. Yeah, we were reading excerpts from all the the testimonies, and anytime we could find a weird animal being mentioned, oh, that's wonderful! And one of them, it was mistranscribed, and it said tersels. And so I read mine first, and I'm like, tersels, tersels. What's tersel? Jeffrey's like, and I was like, hold on, wait a minute, that's something I read. And I was like, no, it's turtle. And we like we're sitting here like literally recording as oh, we're like no. fact-checking each other. And it turns out that there's a report of there's like several animals in the scene, like colorful birds, snakes at his feet. Multiple people too. Yeah. And like people like on the ground like worshiping him. And he has <laughs> turtles <laughs> suckling from each nipple. I'm gonna make an illustration of this tonight and send it to you. I'm gonna have more drinks when I go home, and I'm gonna draw Giles Corey. He'd be like Splinter from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We got it. We got. We got to get into this. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black, and I'm Jeffrey Lilly. Today we are sitting down once again with Dr. Mike Vitka of Spellbound Tours. He leads the walking tour Voodoo, Vampires, and Ghosts. So, of course, we are going to be sitting down with him today to talk about ghost stories and maybe some UFOs sprinkled in. So our last episode was an interview with Mike about him, his time in Salem, his business. But given uh, that both myself and Sarah do... uh, tours on the witch trials and dark history we're talking ghosts we're gonna bring in a local resident expert so hello again no well, i am very glad to be here i had a lot of fun last time i learned some things <laughs> and really enjoyed it so thank you for having me back oh of course so why don't you tell us or them or the world uh, all the listening ears about the paranormal a little bit what like, would you like to know it's such a broad broad topic what should one be looking for? I guess, what are the most common manifestations of the paranormal you see 
on your day to day. So you lead ghost tours mm-hmm. seven days a week. Every day. I'm sure you hear ghost stories from people, and I'm sure you may have had some experiences along the way as well. Oh, so, I certainly have. So, so what's like a quick five minute paranormal 101 class? Well, if we're going to stick to ghosts, if we're going to stick to the ghostly side of paranormal, uh, I would say it's something that's been part of human history ever since the very beginning of time. As long as there have been people on this earth, there have been people who have had a belief in ghosts. And for the purpose of what we're talking about, I'm going to say ghosts are equivalent to what a lot of Western culture would call spirits or souls. Uh, A person dies and part of them sticks around. Whether it's conscious or not conscious, that's what a ghost is. The ghost is a deceased person who still exists in one form or another. Um, Some of these ghosts can communicate. Some of them cannot. Others are just residual energy. But a ghost is somebody's essence still here Um, if we want to go off the rails a little bit there are other manifestations of energy uh, the shadow people the demons all that good stuff poltergeists well poltergeists can be both you you could become a poltergeist if you died a poltergeist can be a disembodied human spirit or it can be a dark entity all on its own oh And so usually on this, on my tour, we tend to stick with the ghosts, the disembodied people, but there have been plenty of people I've encountered and some perhaps encounters I've had myself with uh, other worldly or other dimensional or whatever you want to call it. There are a lot of different theories on ghosts. What I like, what I prescribe to more than anything is the disembodied soul or spirit. And a lot of the times people have an unreasonable fear of ghosts and that's just because humans are programmed to feel anything uh to fear rather people are programmed to fear anything that's different and when they see or feel something unusual especially if it's been something that they've been told through the years doesn't or shouldn't exist they're gonna freak out but the vast majority of spirits we're gonna use the term spirits and ghosts interchangeably the vast majority of spirits are totally harmless. A lot of the time, it's not even conscious. Like a good way to think about it is say you love this house and you're going to live here for a while and you're going to really enjoy it. You're going to have good times here. You're going to have bad times here. You make it your own. And then when you die, your physical body is gone. But don't you think some of your essence would still be in here? Almost like an energy fingerprint it's is like a, a good way to put it. It's like a memory almost. Right, right. Ghosts can be seen as almost a physical, depending how you want to look at it, or a spiritual energy imprint. And those are the ghosts that generally aren't conscious. Those are the ones that stick in a place because they just were there so long in life. Uh, that's why sometimes when people see ghosts, they say they see them walking through walls or they only see half of that person. And generally, that's because when the person had lived in that building, the wall hadn't been there. The ghosts aren't going to realize, oh, there's a new wall here. They're just going to follow the same path which they took in their lifetime. And one thing people often talk about is I hear people ask a lot about the witching hour, like the best time to contact ghosts. When is that? Midnight, 3 a.m. Midnight, 3 a.m., exactly. And in my opinion, that's just because that's when people are looking for ghosts. Uh, Most ghost hunters aren't professional ghost hunters. They do it as a hobby, and late at night is when they're available. Also, (laughs) 
No, really. That's so... No, I, I, wow. I, night, I never thought about it that nighttime way. Nighttime is like... Spooky. Uh, as silly as it sounds, we do have like an instinctual fear of the dark. That's when the animals it, were out prowling. It's an unknown. You you don't you can't see what is around the right. corner. So people think that night is a good time for ghosts, and it sure is. It's a nice time to do rituals. It's a nice time to look for ghosts. It's fun to sneak into haunted places when it's dark for the thrill of it. But the truth is. The hauntings connect more to the way the person who became the ghost lived their life or the way they died. Like, say, you had the same routine and ritual you do every day at 10 a.m. You do it for the next 50 years, then you die. Like, you make the same little cup of tea every day. You sit in the same chair. You read the same newspaper. If you come back as a ghost, 10 a.m. is probably going to be your time because that was a significant time to you. On the other hand, say you get murdered at midnight, you're going to come back at midnight. So in my opinion, it's not so much the time of day, it's the time that connects to the person who has become the ghost. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Now, I, I, like, to th- I like to think of ghosts in the sense that they were people. Sometimes you can communicate with them, but what can be proven is it's an electrical type phenomena. All of the mediumship, all of that good stuff, that can be chalked up to human experience and we interpret that the same way any religious phenomena can be interpreted that's based on what we believe what we feel what we've seen but it's all up to interpretation what we can actually prove in a lot of cases is a correlation between a haunting and electrical weirdness i would say just from the conversations that we've had you are quite a skeptic. Like I'm sure a lot of times when people come to you, your first thought is it's not a ghost and you're looking for those ways to debunk it. Oh, of course. There have been a lot of cases where we've ended up talking to folks who are in the middle of various mental health conditions and we've been able to help them. Like maybe you should see a doctor, maybe you should take your medication and the ghost goes away once they get their head back on straight. But a counterpoint to that is just because somebody's mentally ill doesn't mean they're not necessarily seeing something. And there's also some theories that people who have certain conditions are more open to seeing stuff. They don't have necessarily the mental blocks that we might. And some some things we might be conditioned to, to have learned, you know, especially. Or to reject. <clears throat> yeah. But like, I don't know if we'd be conditioned to reject them as so much as like, this is now your worldview. So something that you may not understand or ascribe as your worldview, it's not even going to plug in. You don't have, you don't even have the the outlet to to, to charge that. Mm-hmm. It's just something that because as kids we are wild and full of imagination and wonder and invisible friends and monsters and mm-hmm. unknown and and all these things, and that sort of gets conditioned out of us as as we get older that was exactly where i was going to go next is i don't believe that there's anything inherently special about kids although kids do have a much higher instance of seeing and reporting ghostly phenomena and it's not because uh, kids are like a channel or anything it's because they're just reporting what they see and what they feel they don't necessarily know that they're not supposed to talk about it yet or they don't know you know the social norms about it and they're more willing to come forth with what they're actually experiencing 
um, they don't know the consequences that they'll be shunned by community right, right. if they start seeing ghosts and stuff. And think about how curious the child's mind is. Like yeah. we're bogged down with our day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. all the different stressors, but they're just looking around every day with wide eyes, taking it all in. So I'm shut. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. We get dark. Actually, Jeff, I'm glad you mentioned children because this made me remember something, a ghost story from the town where you and I grew up. Oh, yes. We have grotten ghosts. We sure do. Actually, I should maybe keep this little factoid under my hat, but you'll appreciate this. There was a witch in Groton. Oh, I, yeah. No, the, the, yeah. the Groton Herald published about it uh, yep. just a couple years ago. They, they did like a little historical society, put a little spiral bound booklet out about it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Look her up. Yes. But, no, there, there's, a, there's a whole thing on her. Do you remember the street called Longley Road? Yes. Now, by the way, Groton is a very old city. Um, it has it's rural, and then it was ruined by yuppies. But it has a lot of old history. It does. There's a sign in the middle of the town, and I don't. I mention this sometimes on my tour. Uh, Groton was founded, and this is the year, and then it says "Burned to the ground in King Philip's War." Yes, in 1674, and then I think 1676, and then again 1689. Uh, and there's just old. Um, uh, pre-colonial basements and foundations scattered throughout the woods. I could just go play in these old chimneys and fireplaces that date back to the 1600s. One of my best friends lived in a house right along the main road, and in his backyard were cast-off stones from the cemetery, mm-hmm. almost like that place which I told you about St. Mary's with a gravestone graveyard. Yes, uh-huh. yes. He, we would go and play in his backyard, and if we would dig, we would find the stones that the stone carver miscarved and just dumped in his yard. Oh, that's... If I can remember the address, I'll let you know. I can go sneak around. <laughs> Let's go. So Longley Road, which, by the way, also, they had that giant boulder with the plaque about the Indian attack on it. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anybody wanted to see it, they had to get out of their car and risk getting run over. But there was an old man who lived on Longley Road. And I remember seeing him almost every day as I was taking the bus to school. He would walk maybe a mile from his house down to the Cumberland Farms. He would walk his little dog. He had a little hat on. He would buy like his coffee and his scratch ticket, and then he would walk home. And he did this for years. I remember seeing this guy from when I was in elementary school to when I was in college. And uh, then I went back home, and I mentioned, can you believe that old guy is still doing the walk? And my mother, "Um, no, his house burned down, and he died. And the poor dog died, too. And I looked into it. And to this day, people are still seeing that guy make the walk from the house (laughs) on Longley Road to the Cumberland Farms to get his coffee and scratch tickets. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, do you, do you remember? You you know where the road is, kind of near the old cemetery. Yeah, yeah. And it was a really tragic thing. He perished in the fire about the time you and I went to college, and even now, people still see him make that trip every now and again. I'll have to. I want to go look at that. So I, how how long of a time was it between the fire and you seeing him and saying something to your mother? About six years. Oh my gosh! Yes, and he was a very identifiable character. It wouldn't be a different old man with a weird hat and a cute little dog. It was the same guy. And I did bring it up to other friends who still lived in the area at the time. And they confirmed. Yeah. The poor guy died. There was a newspaper article that he was trying to get out the door. He and the dog both perished in the fire and people do still claim to see him making that stroll. And that was somebody I saw him physically walking around post-mortem. 
And that's an example, I think, of one of the energy imprint type ghosts. So you don't think that guy or even that dog is it's not there a, a, a conscious of them. It's just like a like a broken record. Right, exactly. I, I on, don't, on loop. On a loop. I yeah. don't think if you were to go out and try to communicate with him that there would be any interaction. I don't even think if you got out of the car to talk to him, I think you'd probably just he wouldn't be there anymore. It's almost like an out of the corner of your eye kind of thing. Just like a leftover imprint in the world. Interesting. That's so creepy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's harmless. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's grotten. I most, don't know. And so most of these sightings were during the daytime. Yeah. 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 He was, he was never out past about 6 PM. I, I think the, 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 I always, I have a problem with a lot of the paranormal, um, but like the, the idea, everything's seen at night. And I was like, that's only because it's less busy. Mm-hmm. Right, like the world is quieter, and it's right? when your eyes play At tricks night. on you. You're uh, alone in your bed, and you hear every little creak. Yeah, and think, what was that? Was that a thing? Was that a movement? Was that a shadow? Um, so, seeing something during the day, I, I can appreciate and, and say, okay. But then it has that effect. So it's like it is also something you have come to know and recognize. So your brain picks it up very easily. Mm-hmm. Someone, I, I don't. I might have seen him at some point, right? But I'm not gonna. I don't remember that. But so you might be more apt to see that loop because your brain is already accustomed. Because of my worldview of it. Yeah. I think it was just it was just very random that I remembered, huh, he's still doing that. So personally, I believe that there are many, who knows how many energies around mm-hmm. us that we don't understand. Like we don't know. Like science is always growing, always right. evolving. And I'm sure there's going to be energies that we don't understand up until the day we die. Right. But what if there is some type of cosmic connection between the brain and that imprint? And because you have seen it before, like, as you're saying, your brain automatically, like there's something that we don't, we don't understand our brains completely. What oh, if there's completely, something like at all, like at all, it, it's, it's a weird hunk of meat that's like mm. stabbed with little prongs of electricity every so often. And we have literal consciousness and can see across time and space. And you just said it, a, electricity and yeah. doesn't the ghosts like that's their the ghost is an electric phenomena for sure. So of course that's why we use a tool that. called the EMF detector, which is one of the only scientific ghost tools I actually believe in. Basically, what the EMF detector does is it registers spikes in electromagnetic radiation. And, of course, when you do an investigation, you always have to take base readings first. And, for example, the part on my tour where I tell the story about the Boston Strangler, everybody who brings a little meter along sees a huge spike. It goes right into the red at that point. And at first, I was very excited, but then I realized, oh, there's an electrical box right under there. So if we were trying to figure out if that site was haunted, we'd have to see the base reading at the box and then see if it jumped from there. That makes sense. So I I like the EMF detector. That's one I actually personally have used and think has a lot of credibility to it. But also you have to understand what you're looking for. It's like any tool. You you need to understand how it works. But when you mentioned the brain thing too, that's fascinating because uh, remember uh, the serial killer, John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. um, there was a big to do about his brain when he was executed. People wanted to have it studied and eventually it did end up with scientists, but they had waited too long. Um, they weren't really able to figure out much from it because it had already decomposed, well, not really decomposed, but because it wasn't alive, they weren't able to tell 
anything from it. It was just a chunk of meat there. If you want to get anything real about the brain, you, you have to do study it while, it while it's alive, yeah. which is kind of like how the whole Frankenstein thing with the abnormal brain versus the normal brain uh, would be like a whole fun thing. Yeah, you need like a CT scan, that kind and, of and, thing. And we have more access. So one thing I think is weird when it comes to the quote-unquote paranormal is history. And you, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, throughout time, through since written record. And that's one of the things when I talk about the paranormal is like, I think we're faced with two choices. You can either look and say every myth and legend, every story, every personal experience, every uh, connotation of religious uh, belief or cultural belief, right? Like, ooh, uh, you can get into like concepts of uh, Asian ideas right mm-hmm. like your ancestor they, they put pictures out and they pray and they believe like the japanese shinto religion the mexican day of the dead we mentioned privately like uh about, and that wonderful shrine where people go in the in thailand where they dress the bodies every year yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so all these things like they have a different relationship uh with spirits than we do so you either have to say absolutely all of that is unequivocally untrue or there is some truth to some of it or all of it and admit that we don't know what or how much that is. I remember there was uh, a writer, he, he coined the term the unified theory of strangeness. Yeah. It was sort of like the Jacques Vallée goblin universe about how all of these things tie in. Like, yeah. Are ghosts dead people coming back to talk to us? Maybe. Are aliens extraterrestrial visitors? Maybe like, but whatever it is, maybe it all really stems from the same place. It's like you're, you're a big England person. You lived in England yes, for a yes. while. Uh, the crop circles. Yeah. We, that's we way think different. of the crop circles yeah. now. And yes, absolutely. Some of them have been totally hoaxed, but we think of them as perhaps extraterrestrial landing sites or messages. But if you go back in history, they have all those broadsides of the, uh, the devil who was chopping down the corn and wheat. And it was the same phenomena being reported, the same kind of intricate patterns, the same way the wheat was being folded down weird. They were reporting exactly the same stuff that we were seeing now, only they were attributing it to it to the devil because that was their pet belief. How far back? Oh, since time immemorial. Wow. Like I remember records of this from like Renaissance era and Dark Ages era. I feel like you don't hear about it was so, that so, part of UFOs. So there's an interesting idea, and, and this is sort of my own propagated narrative, of, <laughs> of culture, right? So we are, everyone's culture is different right around the world. So if we look at what the Asian cultures tend to think of as things that are scary, right? Their monsters, their horror tends to be uh mechanical or electric. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? So and and however our horror tends to be spectral or spiritual. They believe and worship in spirits. They have a belief in the afterlife, in their ancestors. Not so much a fear of it. Right. So so the thing that is the the scary thing in their world isn't their great great grandfather who they you know light a candle for and have a picture they for. revere him and love him right it would it be is, great if he came back to see them exactly it's something unknown which as our western technology had over the centuries hardly imposed itself or harshly imposed itself on the asian culture that is now if you look at a lot of their stories and their legends uh their tv shows their cultures that mechanical object is that source of uh, either fear or power. If you look at a lot of uh, Japanese and Asian 
uh, shows, right? Everything from like Ultraman to I love Tra- Ultraman um, to um, uh, Voltron to uh, Power Rangers to animes and Gundam and uh, these things. Their level of power that they ascribe these things to are mechanical. Whereas, which if we look at a lot of our stories, right? Like Superman, it's this like super powered thing. Interesting. Well, which brings me back to something about uh, Voltron in the the original Japanese version. Um, they called him like God Lion or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. A lot of the Japanese giant robot things they actually give them almost a spiritual yes. imbuement. Whereas, which our and because that is the, like this power mecha thing that they ascribe this to. Whereas, which in the Western culture we ascribe it to something very different. Right, our super that thing is like like a Superman. It has these powers. It's human, but it's weird. It's strange. It's unknown. It's dark. It's spectral. Whatever else, it's a ghost like thing or an unknown power type thing, and that's where we can draw either that power or that fear from the same source. And if you look at what they believe, and this is all over the world, and you can look at many different cultures and see what they thought as that unknown thing, whatever that case may be, mm-hmm. is going to be something within their culture that is ascribed to the unknown. Of course. And within our culture, that tends to be our relationship with the dead. I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that's (laughs) fascinating. Um, That's that. I like it. I like it. That's my hot take. I do think, just to put a little cap on this, there are also similarities as well. Like everyone, of course, has their differences. So so that's the interesting thing, is that they have stories of strange and unusual and unknown inspectors. And their their language to describe it is different than our language to describe it. But we are describing the same same thing. thing. We also, yeah. Which is exactly what I said. Is the crop circle devil or is it aliens? Yeah. But I I I think there are some salient points in it. But when it comes to the paranormal... It, I think we need to understand that our language might be different from culture to culture, but I genuinely think we're we're describing the same thing. Right, for sure. Whatever that may be. And anyone who's like, there's nothing there, and you're like, really? You're going to sit here with a straight I don't face. think that I would, I would hope they're not listening still. Well, no, I hope, <laughs> that, I hope they are listening. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. Like, here's, here's another good personal story that happened to me. Um, I don't know if I told this last time, but I have a good friend who doesn't believe in ghosts. He thinks it's totally bunk. He doesn't believe in it whatsoever. And I live in a haunted house, obviously. Obviously. You and have to. One night he came over and we were going to have some drinks after the tour. Does this story sound familiar? Okay. And so we were going to have some drinks after the tour. He was sitting on the couch. I was sitting in a big comfortable chair. I wasn't watching what he was doing. I think I was petting Luke. And all of a sudden I hear what sounds like a bottle crashing, like a slam and a shatter of glass. And I look at him like, hey, be careful. And all the color has drained out of his face. His face is like totally white. He's like, dude, I didn't touch it. And the bottle we were going to be drinking from was at his feet. And there was no way it should have made a glass crashing sound because it was a plastic bottle. And we had not cracked it open. We hadn't had a single sip yet. And this guy who doesn't believe in ghosts whatsoever saw it levitate and slam at his feet. And we both heard a sound like shattering glass. And he left. (laughs) He did not stick around. He left? And he still does not believe in ghosts. But he will not hang out in that house if if I'm not going to be there. Suspicious. When I go and I, like if we're hanging out and I'm going to. Walk, Luke. He's like, yeah, maybe yeah, I'll come I'll, with you I'll, for I'll the tag walk. Along. 
So do you, do you ever get nervous? Do you ever get like weird feelings? I mean, to be honest, the only times I've ever felt weird in that house, a little spooky, scary feeling is when the dog isn't there. When he's not there, it feels incredibly empty. But yeah, that makes sense. When he's there, it doesn't bother me at all. We've had tons of ghostly stuff in there. Like, for example, this is one. Uh, this happened to me and Michelle. Now, Michelle is my girlfriend. Um, I don't know if she totally 100% believes in ghosts, but she's also not opposed to them. Like, she's like everybody else. She likes them, but doesn't love them, right? Open-minded. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. And one night, it was late, late, late. We probably should have been gone to bed a while ago. And we were having a disagreement. And it wasn't the nicest disagreement ever. And in the middle of her and I yelling at each other, a tube of chapstick flew from my desk right in between us and landed at our feet. And we both stopped. Did you see that? I saw that. Did you see that? I saw that. And it was so weird because this chapstick should not have been able to do that. It was standing erect. It wasn't ready to roll. We actually put it on the desk and stomped around to see if we could get it to roll. It did not. And even when we physically shook the desk and it moved off, it just kind of flopped and rolled. We both saw it fly and smash. And that was weird enough to calm us down, but it gets better. Okay. Her sister had passed away not particularly long before this happened. It wasn't like an unexpected death because she was, you know, very special needs and not particularly well, but it was a very sad, tragic thing all the same. Of course. And so it was a delicate issue. But the next day I called her and I said, I don't know if this is going to be a bad question, but do you think it might've been your sister throwing the thing? And she got upset and I thought I had said something bad. I was like, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Oh no. Turned out it was a good thing because she and her sister, when the sister was alive, had had a very special bond over chapstick. Michelle would actually, because, you know, she's paralyzed, she would apply the chapstick to her and that whole special bag of chapstick and stuff. And out of, out of all the things. Out that- of every object that could have possibly flown between us. And now we kind of interpret it as her sister was telling us to stop fighting. Like, not, knock and, it off. And it worked. You and, spent time trying to debunk it. Yeah, and, and we could not debunk it. We tried everything to make that thing move. We put the fan behind it. We smashed all around. And that was one that I cannot explain. Even though I like to be skeptical, yeah. physically seeing that thing go, and then that emotional connection to what had actually happened, that was a weird one. So I I, I, I love that story. And I love stories like that. And I, I also think that when it comes to these sorts of things, we talked a little bit about energy before, mm-hmm. um, there, I think there are people who are more in tune and people who are more out of tune. And that's not necessarily by choice. Right. As we are all wired differently. I personally do not have a single story like that at all. Well, before I move, come and hang out in that house when I'm not there. <laughs> I, I think I, it's like magnets, right? Oh yeah. S- some, some things are just attracted to, I think me personally, I think I reject all, <laughs> all these things. I have worked in offices. I've worked in places. I've had people like, oh, I had this experience and I'm sitting here. I'm like, I've, I'm here every day and I, I see and hear nothing. So I think whatever some people like you might experience, yeah. I, I think my energy Re- rejects that right. 
Like, and there, there might be, uh, call it what you will, but I don't think, I think that's also part of the narrative. You're like a black hole. Yeah, yeah, right? And, and I think, I, I can't possibly be the only one. Right. So there's people, some, there's a spectrum between people whose energies draw these things to them, and there's people who don't. There's loads of people in between. So we have people who get experiences like that, and then I, I don't. So then I have two choices. I, I have to go, I think you're totally making that up. Or cognitively and logically and reasonably, I go. I I think it's that's possible. Prob- I think that's his truth, and, and I and I choose to believe you. And that's an important term: is that it's his truth. Yes. Who knows what really caused it? All I can say is we saw the thing happen, yeah. and because of my knowledge about the house, my knowledge about the paranormal, and my knowledge about the situation, I am ascribing it in my mind. And she's ascribing it in her mind to her sister intervening. Another person would come up with a totally different interpretation, but the facts are this thing lifted up and flew through the air with no reason. You guys, you know uh, Jeff Page. You work for Jeff at Bewitched. I do, I do. (laughs) I'm not going to tell this story because it's his story to tell, but many years ago, he lived in the same house I live in. And he has a very cool ghost story about the same place. Gosh, and Salem at is the so time, small. <laughs> he was living in the same unit where both my friends saw the bottle crash and me and Michelle had the chapstick thing. So now we have multiple people across multiple years, tenancies, experiencing paranormal activity in that space. I think he was there like 20 years ago. That's pretty cool. You're going to have to ask your boss about that. <laughs> you know, it's so unfortunate. As a, as a Salem tour guide, we get asked all the time, you know, have you experienced anything? Have you seen anything? Have you seen a ghost? Have you had any paranormal encounter? And I've walked these streets at 3 a.m., the witching hour, and I haven't Ooh. seen anything. <laughs> I've, st- I've like stood at the edge of Old Bearing Point Cemetery and looked out and literally said, you talk about like wanting to bring it oh, to you. Oh, tell the truth. You like, have snuck in there after dark I before. did not. I promise I never. No, I'm too. I'm too. Yeah. Jeff probably. I'm not going to say it, but I definitely did a long time ago. <laughs> I know many people that have. But I've stood at that gate and just said, like, God, just show yourself. I want to see something. Give me one little thing, one little thing, nothing. But I will say, and I have a, I have a story for you to probably debunk. Um, and Jeff and I have already debunked it, but I'm still going to tell it anyways because okay. it's the closest thing I can get to a ghost story. Let's hear it. I was giving a tour. I think it was last summer, maybe like August. It was a normal night. And after throwing like all the background info about the witch trials, a lot of heavy, dark context, I gear them up to talk about all the victims. Mm. So it becomes very somber. And it is like, I try to ring it home. Like these were all people and you try to- Some of them might still be. Oh, should add that in, (laughs) but like trying to convey that type of energy. So it becomes, it's heightened. I make my way up to George Burroughs stone Mm. and I usually perch up a little bit on those roots to on the tree. That's right to the right of a stone. And I tell the story of him saying the Lord's Prayer at his execution. Which could any of us actually do the Lord's Prayer, even if we weren't being executed? I today, mean, I today, know. no. <laughs> Our Father, something or other. Yeah, but as a as a suspected witch back then, they supposedly could not say the Lord's Prayer without making a mistake. So, as we all know, 
but he says it up in front of the people that are watching his execution. And I am telling this story and all of a sudden my phone, which was in my pocket, starts saying something. Like it's like Siri saying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just automatically, like I, I'm almost very embarrassed, throw my hand in my pocket, turn it down and just ignore it. Didn't look, nothing, just got it to shut up. I finish the tour. I end things. I look at my phone and it was the Lord's prayer no. that had been speaking. How? I hadn't even set. I don't set up like my Your voice commands. No, I'm just too lazy. <laughs> <laughs> it can happen. Sometimes they, they are listening all the time. Right. Which that was our immediate reaction was like, my phone just heard me and decided to do it right then and there. But like, while it's never happened before. I do this every single night, every, not really every night, but pretty much. I, I will say that the area, the memorial and the cemetery itself is where we see the highest incidence of electrical malfunctions on any kind of equipment. So I, uh, in, in my skepticism, mm-hmm. don't believe that cemeteries or burying points or grounds could logically be haunted places. Right, of course. And I, I you know that argument because why would the person be lingering yes. where it's just their body? They had yes. no emotional connection be- to it. Because as you described earlier, oftentimes that spirit or that energy is left in the place where it's taken from but you know why that cemetery in salem charter street is so charged up is because of all of the living people who go there constantly like we go there and we put our energy in it and it doesn't matter if there are people who are there just super serious taking pictures of hathorn's grave doesn't matter like the goth kids having their picnic there it's such an important emotional site to us and it has so much history on it that we put stuff on it. And we basically create the ghosts that are living in that cemetery. Think about all the stories that surround that memorial yeah, yeah. and that, that cemetery. Think about all the descendants that visit the memorial. Just every little human so I, interaction. We're bringing their energy there. I, I hadn't cool. thought of, of that specifically, but I had at some point heard like a narrative of like, oh, the, the veil right is thin. Mm-hmm. And it isn't. Anywhere in particular. Like, so whatever I was reading, they're right. like, but it gets worn away in mm. places. And so places like Salem where people are like, I always feel this, I always feel this. That's because, you know, like you see those statues like of, of, of the people and the dog and everyone's petting the dog statue. Yes. And it's just that, that brass coating has worn away, worn away, worn away because everyone's touching it. Everyone's there. Everyone's loving it or, or, or ascribing their power to it. Places like Salem. And then in, it, I, I, I'll, Sure, places like bearing points, we continue to put our energy and we keep rubbing that place and it keeps wearing down between whatever. First of all, I agree completely. I was smirking because you said rubbing that place. But um, a good case in point is H.P. Lovecraft, the author. He was a huge fan of Nathaniel Hawthorne and he went to that cemetery to visit the Judge Hawthorne tombstone and look at the Grimshaw house. And there is a letter that uh, Lovecraft wrote. I'm pretty sure it was part of his correspondence with the guy who wrote Conan. And Lovecraft goes on and on and on about how he feels that cemetery. And Lovecraft is a big skeptic. Mm. But he's also like a huge nerd for Hawthorne. And that outpouring of love for Hawthorne and the feeling he has of just the power of being in that cemetery Imagine how many times a day something like that happens in that cemetery. 
at hundreds. Yeah. Thousands. Constantly. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we were doing something for one of the local news channels. And it was like a fun walk through the tour and promote Salem kind of thing. And the cameraman had told me he was very skeptical. He didn't believe in this stuff. But when we got to the corner near the Grimshaw house, we had to stop filming twice because his big professional batteries totally went dead. He had to run back to the van and get auxiliary batteries every time I started talking about the Grimshaw house. Did you ask him if he was any bit more a believer afterwards? I didn't want to embarrass him because he was very, very shaken. Oh. But when we were talking about sneaking to places, I know that Proctor's Legend Gallows Hill is way off limits after dark. I would never go to Proctor's Ledge after dark now. However, in the past, many years ago, I'd say over 20 years ago, statute of limitations and all that, on rare occasions, I would bring people up there if there were extenuating circumstances. And I remember there was a group of like college fraternity bros who wanted to pay a lot extra to go there. And so they were just being dopes and they weren't taking anything seriously. (laughs) But before I had even mentioned a story, the guy who was like their ringleader started crying like a baby. (laughs) He's like, bro, we've got to leave. We've got to leave. And all his friends were super upset and he was like crying. And this was before the memorial had been put up there. This is how long ago it was. This when it was, was just empty land. Probably 2003 or thereabouts. And, but we still knew approximately where the hangings happened. But just something had gotten into this guy and thus had transferred to his friends that they just embarrassedly ran. And the next morning, we got a big, long email where he apologized for being a jerk He refused to say what he had seen or felt, but him and his friends never wanted to mess with ghost stuff again. Oh, my God. That was a case that changed some people's minds. (laughs) Kind of bummed he didn't elaborate a bit more. I wish he had, but at the same time, I just thought it was really cool that these guys who just wanted to get like a little thrill of going there had had some kind of life-changing experience. They were magnets and they didn't even know it right, but once again let us advocate not going to gallows hill after dark this was no. not a recent thing this is a very very long time ago so we actually had a ghost story a salem ghost story sent in by one of our listeners oh i'd love to hear it i think you're really gonna love to hear it after you hear that it's on our street you walk by this house every single day where we live uh-huh oh my goodness yep I lived at 313 Essex Street, which is across the street from the Witch House and right near the Ropes Mansion. 313 Essex Street is an oversized house that now has been converted into an apartment building. Wait, hold on. Is it the greenhouse? No, the one on the left when you're walking down towards the... This one's like... This this one's further down to the right. It's almost when you hit North Street. It's like two two houses before... My boyfriend at the time, now husband, and I lived in an apartment near the back of the building. We were fresh out of college, having graduated from Salem State, and we wanted to continue living in Salem since we loved it so much. We moved into our apartment in May 2016 and rather quickly started experiencing strange things. Our blinds would suddenly shoot up on their own. Our television would turn on by itself, as did our kitchen faucet. And one, at one point in the middle of the night, our record collection fell over. But, in, but instead, 
but instead of falling over onto their sides, it looked like the records had been pulled out one by one in front of the shelf that they were on. Oh, wow. There were also plenty of times when an object would be in one spot in a room, and then the next time we'd enter the room, the object would be in a slightly different spot or flipped around. Since we couldn't explain most of these events through logic, I started doing some research on the building itself. On the front of the building, there's a historic plaque that reads, quote, built for the widow Priscilla Manning Abbott in 1786. I couldn't find out a lot of information about her, but I did discover that this house was built for her by her husband, George, who was a shopkeeper. George died when he was 36 years old and Priscilla continued his trade. Together, they had one child whose name was also Priscilla. I'm not sure if I believe in ghosts, but I like to think the weird things happening in our apartment was Priscilla just wanting to make her presence known. We only stayed in our apartment for a year before we (laughs) moved out of the city. Salem is still mine and my husband's favorite place in the world, and we try to go back and visit as often as we can. Love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Lauren. Wow. Thank you, Lauren. That's pretty intense. That's a lot. The first time I read that, I was alone. <laughs> in my apartment on Essex Street. When you can see things at night out of the corner of your eyes. Yep. And I got goosebumps. I was fr- I was freaked out. Well, talking about your apartment, uh, we discussed last week one weird thing that you said happened. You said you don't really feel it's haunted except for one little square in the kitchen. I do. I do. I'm in like the attic. It's a converted attic, uh, but it's big. You know, it's a huge house. And there's this. Full of plants. Full of plants. There is a kind of wraparound L-shape counter. It kind of forms like a U. I would say it's a a peninsula, not an island. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, it is connected. (laughs) Um, So my counter, basically, with my fridge and all the appliances, it makes this like square, like a box. And every time, from the moment I walked into the space, every time I enter that box, I feel like I want to dance. Like, and I've like just it's 15, 18 and you're like in a small village in the like south of Like it's 1650, <laughs> like we're talking Charleston, whatever, pirouettes, what have you. But yeah, and it'll happen without me even thinking. And it's usually just in that spot. I don't normally feel feelings, but I couldn't ignore it. So roommate says one day, because I had told her about this, she probably thought I was crazy. She eventually texts me and says, oh my God, it happened. It happened. I was just hanging out, doing my thing, and I walked into that square, and I danced. And mm. I didn't even think about it. It just took over. And then I had a friend come over, and it was the first time in the house. She walked into that part of the kitchen, and the first thing out of her mouth was, I just want to dance. That's fascinating. So I'm telling you, there was someone just dancing in, in this the attic. attic. But back to what you're saying, that same counter, that area, is where we tried to record this very episode last week. But we kept on getting some weird buzzing noise in the background. I'm glad we're doing this now. It feels better to be talking about the ghosts at night for some reason. I agree. I agree. I think I'm just more awake now. That could be that as well. So when it comes to Salem, uh, we have loads and loads of stories. And what I found interesting about reading this one in particular is that building is right around all of the buildings that are used uh, for the Salem Inn. Mm. Uh-huh. And they have 
a whole plethora of haunted stories. The ghost cat. A a ghost cat, uh, people who stay there. uh, If you don't put your caps in your drinks, they fall over, rattlings in the closets, TVs The woman in white that stands at the top of the stairs. Well, there were those amateur ghost hunters that left in the middle of the night, left all their gear. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. This is ages ago, but they left all their stuff. And when they called the Salem Inn, or the Salem Inn called them and said, you left your stuff. We don't want to deal with ghosts anymore. So, so it's weird that 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 house is in the same within twenty yards of like the four or five buildings of the Salem Inn, many of which are also reported to be haunted. And I'll I'll take a quick leap here. The Ropes Mansion is also reported. Also, to be the haunted. Witch House. It's and even closer to the Witch House and the, the first church right there too. And the Witch House is reported to be haunted as well. So it's interesting that we get all of these reports of activity in all of these locations. Should we go knock on the door tomorrow and ask if they're still experiencing <laughs> stuff? <laughs> the reason I got excited when you mentioned that particular neighborhood is a few nights ago, I met a girl who lives in a house that's basically next to that house. And she's been there for a while and has been having manifestations and stuff. So, yeah, you're onto something. That whole neighborhood. That whole neighborhood is haunted. I mean, I've heard stories, varying stories coming from the Ropes Mansion about Abigail Ropes or the dying in the fire. Um, but I have seen many pictures taken in the Ropes Garden uh, with all sorts of strange things in them. Uh, there's an, an old picture from inside the Ropes house about, mm. I guess, uh, one of the gentlemen who used to live there, and I can't remember which one. Have you seen the one? He's sitting on the couch. You can just see his I yes. have not seen yep. this one. Yep, yep. Um, and then, of course, we have all the reports from, from the witch house, which I'm not. I'm always skeptical about the witch house. Uh, no, I'm totally down for the witch house stories. <laughs> so the dumbest thing I've ever heard about the Ropes mansion, and I'm sure we've all heard silly misconceptions and stuff, but this is probably the most egregious foolish silly salem thing ever i and we know it's called the ropes mansion because the people who lived there and had it built was the ropes family right i was walking by even though I, they were loyalists Ooh, shame 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 but, shame <laughs> shame shame <laughs> we got a bell you can clang it but so there was a guide out front and he was talking about the ropes mansion they call this the Ropes Mansion because this is where the ropes were made that hanged the witches. <laughs> this house is where the ropes was made. Hundred <laughs> percent. I heard somebody say that, and no. they did have the badge. No. They did. They were a real guide. They weren't just some. Oh no! I thought you. I the way you made that sound. It sounded like it was some random dude on the street. Nope. This was a tour. That was guide? a tour guide. Oh yep. my god! Oh good lord! So yeah. The Ropes Mansion is where they manufactured the ropes that hanged the witches. I don't think that's, that's true. Hilarious. I don't either. <laughs> that's so funny. I had a very funny encounter myself at the Ropes Mansion back when I was leading ghost tours. That mm-hmm. was one of the stops. We also did stop at the Salem Inn, talked mm-hmm. about the cat ghost. But then we would make our way down to the Ropes Mansion and talk about poor Abigail dying in the fireplace. And it took her, you know. Was she the one where the picture of her makes her look like a potato woman? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to look. I'm gonna, we'll just we'll go through some ghostly photos after this because I need to catch up on this. So I'm telling the story to probably a group of six, seven people. It's small, it's intimate. And I had these two women and they may have been a little drunk. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, not to inter- I hate interrupting you. That's okay. But drinking 
doesn't lessen the ability to see ghosts. In fact, in a lot of cases, because it gets people's inhibitions down, having a drink or two makes you more emotionally available to see them. Interesting. The problem is it lessens your credibility to other people and it lessens your reaction time and your own, you know, cognizant uh, cognition. Mm. So I do not advocate drinking before an investigation or during a tour, but just because somebody's drunk when they're seeing ghosts doesn't mean they're not seeing ghosts. And in fact, in my opinion, kind of can help a little. That's so interesting. I would have always assumed it'd be the opposite. But nope. No, I mean, and that makes sense. Opening the mind I mean, a little bit. If you're like totally wasted, nothing. Yeah. You're, not <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> it's like you're just taking a quick shot like to, to, to calm the nerves. Right, right. Yeah. But if you have like, uh, you know, a 40 or something and you see something, it's not, not a ghost. Um, yeah, same thing. A lot of people who do do certain, uh, you know, psychedelic drug experiences to open up their mind. I would never advocate doing that before a serious investigation where you need real hard data. But for a personal exploration, it's not a bad thing, right? Because I think a lot of people would look at that and just kind of absolutely all the data erase the your data credibility. Needs, the data needs to be thrown out because it's not a hundred percent hard, but from a, an emotional and psychological perspective, when you get your inhibitions lower, you're more open to seeing what's really there. Like what we talked about, how kids are more perceptive. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it was not a ghost they saw. It was a, um, I believe it was an AC unit. <laughs> and the steam, must have been the heat. Whatever makes the steam that comes up off the side of houses mm-hmm. when it's running. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm telling this story about the fire and the woman perishing. Oh, wonderful. And then she, she's like, oh my God, look, look, there's smoke, there's smoke. And turn around, I'm like, oh my gosh, they, I don't think, I played along I and know. I just kept wonderful it going. Story. And I said, oh no, it is Abigail, look it, look it. <laughs> and uh, then the go, the, then the steam stopped. Well, that, and that's they're like, like um, oh my God, look, it stopped, it stopped. And that's how folklore starts. When I, uh, <laughs> when I used to do ghost tours, I do uh, the Higginson Square, the the, the blue lady um, mm-hmm. who who dies, and you know the, whatever story you want to ascribe, she's buried in the walls, or the slaves, or the murder, or the lover, or the unborn child, all whatever, of it, all of it, right? Um, but the lights in Higginson Square above it change color, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And occasionally, one of the colors they turn is blue. Oh, and like. From where you'd stand in the alleyway, and I feel a little bad admitting this, you can see it on either end. If you are if you know they're going, and you can see it turn blue, right? Or they, they go off. And it wouldn't happen every night because my timing wasn't always correct. But when I saw, like, the one, two, three, and I know the whole thing is going to turn blue, I'd, like, just, like try to get it so that and i'd be like duh, duh. and then the woman and she's buried in the wall but sometimes she's known as and i'd like look up oh my god <laughs> i know i'm sorry that's so it's like good those christmas lights in stranger things that's so like good. the blue lady and i'd look up I'm like oh my god the lights don't normally turn straight oh shut up you do not <laughs> you pl- are you serious oh, what you really tell them that i did i used to i'm sorry well, I heard a tour guide uh, would bring apple juice around in his pocket, and when he would get to Bridget Bishop's area, he would spill a little bit out before he started talking oh to try oh, to get smart. people to smell apples. Mike's like, <laughs> well, I had I had a sad one a couple of weeks ago. So everybody has heard a version of the Bridget Bishop story, 
Uh, yes. Bridget Bishop, the first person hanged in Salem for the crime of witchcraft. Probably not really a witch. There's evidence that points maybe a little, but her land was where the uh, old Lyceum Hall, now the Turner Seafood, which is a great restaurant, is. And part of the Bridget Bishop story is that when her spirit is active, people get the scent from the apple blossoms from her apple orchard. And that's what's called an olfactory hallucination. That's when people smell an aroma that should, they shouldn't be able to smell. Like it's a very common thing in ghostly phenomena. People say they smell the perfume that someone wore a hundred years ago. They smell the cigar that grandpa smoked. And in the case of Bridget Bishop, when people are walking on her land, when her ghost is around, the legend is that her apple blossoms will be smelled. Well, a few nights ago, there was a child on my tour who was insisting she smelled a light floral scent. She smelled the apples, and a few other people smelled the apples too. And I smelled something kind of fruity. And <laughs> it definitely, there was something going on. And at the end of the tour, during the little question answer session, everybody left except for this one couple. They were very nice, they were a little tipsy. They tipped, which was good. Always tip your tour guides. Yes. But then they started laughing and said they felt so bad. And during the whole tour, they'd kind of been hanging back after the apple bit because what everybody had smelled was their little vape pen. <laughs> the girl had some kind of like oh, fruity that, vape pen. That's and hilarious. everybody had smelled it and thought it was Bridget Bishop. <laughs> did you thank them? It totally... I did. I actually... Which reminds me of another one. Um, you know, Salem has some characters who live on the streets. Yes. Uh, did I mention Kenny the Bum last time? No, you did not. But you did say in our last episode that you sometimes like to incorporate them into the tours. Yes. He was a wonderful character. Like, he was extremely eccentric. Um, I don't want to say he was handicapped, but he wasn't well. Like, to give you an idea, he got kicked out of the shelter because he defecated in the shower. And as soon as the shelter agreed to take him back in, he went to the Magic Parlor, which is the shop that Spellbound Tours is affiliated with, and he bought the biggest fake dog do he could find <laughs> and put it right in the shelter, and he got kicked out again. He was also the guy who, if you remember, probably when you first moved here, you would see a character all October walk around with a really nice werewolf mask and people would pose for pictures with this guy. And he stayed in character. He didn't make a peep. He was just like a crazy wolf man, but it was really Kenny the bum underneath it. And one night I was at Howard street cemetery. This is back when we were allowed in Howard street cemetery and people screamed. And I looked at what they were screaming at. And there was this, horrifying disheveled figure that had risen from behind one of the graves it was kenny the bum and he was just waking up he was like, stretching and he was all dirty and i just told the story about giles Corey haunting and people seeing his apparition before tragedy and all these people thought kenny was giles Corey. and the next time i saw him i asked him if he would do that every night but he was a little embarrassed and didn't want to. So. That happened to me as a teenager. <laughs> so Were you on my tour? I was not on your tour, but I took a Salem night tour. And so okay. it was the first tour I had ever taken. My dad just moved here. It was like back in 2010. And 
No, we, Kenny was definitely around in yeah, 2010. We took a night tour. They, they talked about Howard Street Cemetery. And so we decided to go ghost hunting after mm-hmm. the tour. Ooh. And we were out like taking pictures. And with you the said you'd never snuck in anywhere. We didn't. I think we were up against like the fence, you know, like actually I think you're right. We probably did sneak in. Yeah, you did. But then we got close. <laughs> it's, it was a long time ago, but we got you were drunk. close. Okay. I was like, dude, I was like, 16? Uh-huh. I can't do uh-huh. math. I was 16 year olds can't get drunk. They're not supposed to. Yeah, but I it... was drunk at 16. But <laughs> I was not drunk when I was visiting my dad over in Massachusetts. No, this is what we discussed. This was summer Sarah, not like scholarly Sarah. Yes, but this is before <laughs> any of this era. <laughs> but dad is like trying to be the cool dad and bringing his two daughters out around Salem to go ghost hunting because like how what else are you supposed yeah. to do? And we got into Howard Street Cemetery and we're getting close to that corner where all the trees and the bushes are and we hear like rustling <laughs> and I think my dad realized that it was a person and like that was their... You know, and he's like, let's get my daughters out of here. He's a very understanding guy. He uh-huh. didn't think like there was a threat or okay, anything, okay. but it's like, oh, there's there's a dude doing his thing. We should yeah. probably go this way. And I was like, but it's a ghost. No, it's not. It could have <laughs> very well been Kenny. It was, I, I, I want to say it probably. And I've got to say, just if anybody is aware of him, we haven't seen him in Salem for a couple of years, but he is alive and well. He Aww. somehow got an apartment in Arizona, which... When he gets his government check, he buys stuff from the Halloween store, and he has a whole hotel apartment, like a welfare hotel kind of thing, packed to the gills with Halloween stuff. And occasionally, he'll still call and leave creepy messages like, (laughs) I'm the ghost. How are you? So yeah, Kenny is alive and well and still doing his thing. I've also heard stories of uh, someone else, and I... I'm not going to say who, uh, no one at this table, um, <laughs> who, uh, would sometimes lurk in, in, in Howard street as, as well. And, uh, sometimes intentionally, um, to like scare passerbys, intentional lurking it like, like, so they, they'd see the tour and then they'd like <laughs> step and like walk through the thing. Like, Oh, there's ghosts. Well, this, this or, is great. I, or, or, or like the ghost of Giles Corey. And this person would like, you know, like walk away into the shadows. Yeah, yeah. There were folks who had lived in the house right across from the main gate to Howard Street. Um, and they had hooked up a thing, like a microphone system. And they had hooked up the wire from their house to Howard Street. And on occasion, they would see people coming down the street and going to sneak into Howard Street. And he would just turn it on and start saying things. Oh, my <laughs> yes. gosh. Oh, I love it. So, but we do have some actual reports of paranormal activity coming out of that area. Absolutely. If we, if we yes, want to talk about I that. I believe that you promised our listeners that you would tell the story of Giles Corey in Howard Street mm. on the night before which, the Great which would Fire. Have been three nights ago. Yeah, we're recording today so on. The 26th. So it would have been the night of the 24th. Recording today on June twenty. Oh, sorry, it literally it's, just turned twelve a.m. I know. I gotta walk. It's Luke's the witching then. hour. So three days ago uh, would have been the anniversary, right? So what? I, I can't maths. Uh, it's one hundred eight years ago. One hundred eight years ago. You did that in your head? No, I just. Oh, we because yeah, yeah. We've yeah. been doing a lot of studying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to uh, the Great Fire of Salem, supposedly. Um, during Giles Corey's death, uh, during his 
execution uh, during his pressing. He curses Salem. Persecution. Persecution. That's a good term. <laughs> uh, he curses. It's fine. He curses Salem to burn, and he curses Sheriff Corwin to die. Um, whether or not that's true is forever going to be unknown. Uh, but what we can tell you is, with certainty, these two things did happen. Uh, Salem did burn. It took a couple of centuries for that to happen. But there are several reports uh, of people seeing the ghost or spirit or apparition of someone who would have fit the description of Giles Corey in and around uh, the Howard Street Cemetery. And the correlation there is that is in the vicinity of where we believe him to have been pressed to death. Um, so when it comes to, to, to the ghost, I, I have heard any number of, of different explanations of the guards in the jail seeing it, of passersby seeing it, of people seeing someone in the bearing point uh, of someone, of, of something like, like the old man you talked about yes. earlier on, on a loop, uh, just walking, laying down in the ground. And again, these are sort of uh, local legends, and, and I'm not sure uh, where to ascribe my belief in the actuality of these things. Uh, but if you, either one of you have any more solid evidence to, to something, um, I would gladly hear it. What I would really like to ask everybody listening is if you can find a record with names of who said they saw him, mm. because I know that story has been around since the fire. And it's something that's been passed on, and people have said it with such certainty. Yeah. And I absolutely do believe that people saw someone or something, maybe Giles Corey, maybe not, but there was some kind of apparition in that cemetery. Somebody saw something, right? That's the best we can actually say about it. But I want to know who saw it. I've never been able to find who first said it. Where it came from. I want to know where it's ascribed to. The only thing I do have to add to this comes from my boss you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Jeff Page, uh, Salem local, born and raised. And he actually used to live right on the edge of Howard Howard Street Extension. Yeah, he was obsessed with that cemetery as a child and in love with all of those stories. And he claims that it was several nuns from that church Mm. that had proclaimed to see his apparition. So I'll have to ask him if we can dig into some of those resources that it's one he, of these weird things that everyone seems to have a slightly different variation for which makes me and this is a, it's just a catch-22 i believe it more and i believe it less mm. and so i'm not sure exactly how i feel about that one well i i like the nun connection i really like it when religious people see stuff because they're programmed to believe one way and then they see something else. I but, thought they saw resurrections all the time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's that's they, their thing. Right. But so <laughs> when they see something, they are open to it. They may have a very different interpretation of it, but they're open to seeing and feeling stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to name the particular church. I'll tell you guys off the mic. But there is a particular church in Salem where the former pastor and some of the old church ladies were so open to the ghost stories. And they would tell me what they'd seen, what they'd felt. Uh, they actually invited us in at one point to maybe do an investigation. And then the pastor got moved to another diocese. He moved somewhere else, and the new pastor does not want to talk about ghostly stuff at all. They went from being very open and wanting to know if I could maybe point him in the right direction 
to immediately clamping down on it. Like the new guy doesn't want to hear anything about the ghost that might be in his church, but the former pastor was all about it. That's fascinating. So they're probably not talking to other people, like their parishioners or whatever. Yeah. Are they talking to their, is it like common talk among the- I don't know the, now. I don't know now. The churchgoers? But in the past, it had been. In the past, it had been something that, I mean, it wasn't, they didn't hang a sign out saying, come see the haunted church, but they were definitely- that, that, That's what we do today. We should. <laughs> <laughs> Does anything stick out? Do you have- ghostly churchgoers sitting next to you while you're listening to your hymns. People actually reported seeing apparitions in the church. And I will tell you there's a church, because, you know, when you do deal with these kind of things, you do have to respect the privacy of the people you're dealing with. Of course. So I don't want to give you too many hints. Okay. But it's a very historic place. And people did say that they would see people moving up the aisle who weren't really there and stuff like that. Well, I, I, during I, the services and all that. So, so I during will. The I will. I will. I will counter that. And Please. I'm, and I'm not saying I disbelieve. However, uh, having uh, gone to university in England, having spent time in England, uh, we in the center of Bath, the city I went to, uh, is a big abbey. Yep. And an abbey is a great is a building that is a graveyard. It is full. Uh, the walls are full of people. The floors are full of people. I've been to Westminster Abbey and you just walk through the place and it's just p- literally piled high with corpses. <laughs> and you're like, here is King Henry, Queen Elizabeth, uh, Rudyard Kipling, Winston Churchill. Literally, they're, you're just walking around. There. Colonizers all. Uh, yeah. But the Bath Abbey, I've spent a significant amount of time in. Uh, it's where the, the, the graduations are. It's where performances are. You have shows in there. And it's just riddled with, with, with human remains. And I don't think I have ever heard of a haunted story uh, in, in an abbey like that it ever ever um, that's interesting yeah but but again that might ascribe to it's the same concept of a burying ground or a graveyard where it might not be haunted. right so it might be that particular place and those particular people but i would say it probably has little to do with the institution this actually when you mentioned bath and the abbey first of all everybody who's watching downton abbey now they're surrounded by corpses i guess yeah. But no, no, that, that's a it's a different I, I know. slightly, but yeah, yeah. But uh are you familiar with a place uh near Stonehenge, a particular hotel which was built right across from a church that was where uh, Oliver Cromwell and the Roundheads were doing their thing? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't want to say the name of it once again because I honestly this one I don't remember. But we did a little uh investigation in this particular hotel and we went there specifically because of the ghost stories. Mm-hmm. It was funny because the folks who were working there really wanted to show us the door that the people tried to beat down when the Beatles stayed there. But like that was their big thing. The Beatles stayed here you're once. You're like, yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, the Beatles are fine, but we're here for the ghosts. <laughs> you're like, but Oliver Cromwell. And, <laughs> and down in the basement, of this course. ancient, we're, we're, ancient basement. Secret tunnels? No. But there had been a, actually, yes, oh. <laughs> there was a tunnel that went from the church to the abbey or whatever. Well, well, but, but the question is, was there, a church, was there a tunnel that went from there over to here? And was there yes. opium in it? And, was, and prostitute and haunted pepper. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember it was Oliver Cromwell. We're going to have to cut this out. But Oliver Cromwell, he brought the pepper to the United States. And first he did it by getting the elephant high on opium. 
and they stuffed the elephant full of pepper. And when the elephant, you know, finally died from an overdose, the pepper formed the shape of a spectral elephant. And to cover up the you know, sadness of killing an elephant. They put the corpse into the Salem tunnels and they blocked <laughs> off the tunnels. And to this day, when you're walking down Essex Street, you can hear the ghostly trumpeting of the high elephant. Clomp, clomp, clomp. Opium! <laughs> and in his path, he leaves little pepper kernels. Yes. That's why the elephant dung from Salem is not good for planting your tomatoes because it's filled with pepper. So that was I knew it. That I was all made it. up. That was just being silly. Just no, in that, case that, anybody thinks it's not. No, I, that's 100% <laughs> accurate. But the truth is, this place in England, there had been a well in the basement, and there was folklore. Once again, no real documentation to the folklore, but two kids had drowned in that well. And the staff at the hotel just you know, for fun, had started putting these little dolls down by the old well. They were from some weird British kids show called the Wombles. And they would leave these Womble dolls down there like, we're leaving these for the kids. Ha ha ha. And then they got security footage of the dolls moving on their own. And I checked that security footage and it was not edited whatsoever. That was a creepy one. That was a really fun one to experience. I need to see that. Yes, I don't. Off air, I'll tell you what I think the name of the hotel was, but I honestly don't remember. Okay. But you can stay there, and if they're not busy, they will absolutely let you go down and see where the well was. And they were very happy to have us go down there and try to prove or disprove and document. A disturbing story. It was fun. I mean, I love it when we get children ghosts, because they really just like actual live children they seem more active they want to have fun i don't really like live kids but kid ghosts are great but something i did want to mention is i use the term apparition and just in case folks aren't familiar when i'm doing the investigations there's three main types of ghostly energy that we look for the first and the most common are what are called orbs now orbs are super controversial Orbs are perfectly circular, white globes of energy, and they're the same color all the way through. Orbs are not visible to the naked eye, and they only show up after they've been photographed. And in my opinion, what an orb is, is like that leftover energy we're talking about, just the energy imprint. The residual. The vast majority of orbs are just camera junk. A lot of people show me orbs, and what they're actually showing me a picture of is their own camera lens interacting with the flash i i had a friend of mine she took a video and there's that light orb that yep you know and she's like look 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 and and i let her have it she was all very excited about it uh she's like it's an orb and i was like oh cool and then like later someone else was like wow like and i was like nah that that, was, <laughs> that wasn't she was just excited and, and i let her have it. like a lot of the modern iphone type cameras there's yeah. also a little focusing light yes. which causes an abundance of false orbs Uh, generally when you see a lot of orbs in one picture, moisture in the air, stuff like that. Real orbs are all by themselves and they're the same color all the way through. They're extremely rare and they're not conscious. Like you can show me a thousand orbs and they'll all be trash. Mm -hmm. But every now and again, there's one really amazing one. Like I have a picture of one that we took a long time ago in the old Salem jail back before it was turned into condos. That's one of the very few orbs I ascribe paranormal truth to so that's the orbs there's also 
what's called ectoplasm. That, that's what Ooh. we were drinking. Yes. Oh, the far from the tree ectoplasm yes. is delicious. You were lucky to find that stuff. I, I, I bought a whole case. That, that was uh, almost the last few cans left over from October. Yeah, Ooh. we we got there right when it opened. And you stocked up. <laughs> you yes. were the reason yep. I couldn't find ectoplasm until yes. I went to Boston. That was yes, Jeffrey's That was fault. me. Yep. Now, as far as ectoplasm goes, it's a very loaded term because of the history of ectoplasm. What it is, is a white, shape-shifting, amorphous substance. It's not the green slime from Ghostbusters. The real stuff is white, generally foggy, and you usually see it when a manifestation is starting to happen. Um, You cannot communicate with ectoplasm, but sometimes it will sort of take shape into an apparition. And an ectoplasmic event seems to be a precursor to an an apparition. Now, the reason I don't necessarily like the term ectoplasm is during the spiritualist movement, there was a massive rash of ectoplasmic manifestations. The mediums, the fraudulent mediums who were pretending to contact spirits would put themselves in these dark rooms. And as people were sitting around the seance table, they would start seeing these glowing blobs flashing all around the room. And the mediums would say this was ectoplasm, describing it as I just did, a precursor to the manifestation. What that ectoplasm really was, was generally cheesecloth. It was cheesecloth painted with a phosphorescent paint, and the mediums claimed it was ghostly energy. And people believed it because there was no place the mediums were going to be able to hide it. Oftentimes, they were stripped totally naked and checked from head to toe, making sure that there was no place for them to hide any ectoplasm. But most of these mediums were women, and they would hide the ectoplasm in a natural pocket, if you will. And so once the lights went out, they would unfurl the ectoplasm from their dresses and toss it around. And then before the lights went on, their assistants would hide it or they'd stuff it back in themselves. There's actually in the Library of Congress in their files on spiritualism, there is a little chunk of this ectoplasm from one particularly infamous medium. Oh my, they have the physical cheesecloth. The physical cloth that this woman had painted to glow and hid inside her body. I I know some people who are... passionate about this kind of history yes of course um and i am going to uh message or i would just might call them tomorrow and be like i'm gonna need you to tell me where you hide your ectoplasm ah. <laughs> and i am i am going to see what she tells me and i will i will report back to you although i guess if, if she hears this before that then you can just is, is she me. a magician a fraudulent uh, spiritualist well well don't worry about she it she just likes hiding things uh sh- sh- oh, no. is she somebody i know no oh no. all right is but, she somebody I'd want to know? <laughs> you don't even want to say that she's a magician? She's a magician. Oh, that's fine. She, she And she does uh, 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 spiritualism and seances and uh, all these sorts She'll of know things. 100% about this ectoplasm. That, that I'm going to have to. I love those old photographs. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Mumbler photographs and stuff. Uh-huh. But yeah. the weird... It almost looks like fog. Right, but it's exactly. Solid. It's just well, so, some of so the, some of the photographs like that, they did mess with the negatives and mess with the plates and create an ectoplasm that physically draw it on, like old Photoshop. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so ectoplasm is a real thing. But uh, if if there was a better term for it, I'd use it. But because it's so ingrained in popular imagination, I still call the stuff ectoplasm. That's the white shape-shifting amorphous foggy ooze 
And then the third are apparitions. And apparitions are what we traditionally think of as ghosts. Like if you see a horror movie with a physical apparition, mm-hmm. a physical manifestation of somebody from beyond the grave, that would be an apparition. Like like if you're throwing a clay pot and they're giving you a, a helping hand or something. Right. Well, if you see the hand. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yes, that. It took me a minute. That. Patrick Swayze. That was an apparition. <laughs> when you said the throwing, that's another type. That's okay. not something we can well, photograph. So, so, so we'll get onto that in a second. So I have a question. But for the you. three main types we can photograph are orbs, ectoplasm, and apparitions. Like uh, Jacob Marley in a Christmas Carol, that would have been an apparition. So this was sent to me by someone on my tour. Oh, let's have a look. Who, who had, I've shown you this, who had taken this a few years prior. Uh, so this is when Goodnight Fatties is still in the alleyway in Higginson Square. Mm-hmm. And they said they were taking a picture of these two Salem characters, you, you'll see. And they took a few shots and there was no one else in the alleyway at the time. So hold on, you can just you see that. And then swipe to the right. No. <laughs> No, this is a physical person. That's what I said. This is somebody who just very quickly dashed into the picture. That's what I think, and that's what I thought. But there's like a level of... of, of, It's just movement. So I don't think it's... I I suspect it might be someone who I knew. And that that white thing in the front, I think, would indicate uh, possibly someone who has the same profession we do. But the rest, it, it doesn't... It's not as clear and distinct as the other two characters in in the... It's because he's moving. And also, if you notice, the two costumed people are in ever so slightly different positions. Notice how their shadows are... They're still going the same direction, but they're in a different position. The apparition shadow is a little bit blurred, but that's because the guy is actually moving. Yeah, this is a person who just they caught at exactly the right time. Yeah, so so and again, it's one of these things like I see this, like the person's like there was no one else in the alley, and then I I have to look at that and I go, I, I well, a lot of people aren't trained observers. It's like that experiment that was done in some psychology class where the woman was teaching about observation and telling about how important it was people notice stuff, and then she had it uh, staged so somebody would come into the classroom and do a robbery. And then after oh, that was oh, done, it, yeah. the students all described wildly different versions of who the person was. So we or, or the gorilla. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're probably all familiar with yeah, the gorilla. Yep. So that gor- well, the gorilla That's, was on the same boat as the pepper elephant. Yes, yes. But that was just something that was a guy who had just been off and, in the shadows and just popped in. Yeah, and and, and they were like, well, we, t- we were taking pictures. We, no one saw, and there, there was a group of women. They were like, we didn't know, and we, we didn't look till we got home, and da, da, da. And it's the same story, and, and I feel like initially you look at it, and you're like, wow, that's somewhat credible. Right. But then when you dig deeper, you're like, well, clearly it's not, which then, unfortunately, I think casts doubt into a lot of other people's stories. I think it's more likely that it was her memory that is slightly distorted than the actual and the actual facts of the right because she was yeah. busy unfurling ectoplasm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, she, they said they noticed it when they got back home. Yeah, and so it's at that moment where she thinks to herself, "But there was no one there else in no. the alleyway." But if say she's looking down at her photo for a quick second, she just doesn't even notice the person walking. And I think so. This this plays into like true crime a lot in mm. witness testimony. Oh, it's it is totally. 
worthless. Yeah. And part of my theory as to why we attribute the great fire starting to, and, and connect it to Giles Corey's ghost, would that story exist if the fire never happened? Maybe it was just the fire in that horrible circumstance that prompted them to all remember those days very clearly mm. because it's such a traumatic moment that anything will stick out to them. Well, we're leading up to the 4th of July, right? Yes. The fire reminded me of this. This is a story that came from the research of our friends who used to do life and death tours, which I mentioned last time. They were the first all true crime tour in Salem. And they did, they're not here in town anymore, but they did wonderful research. And they found a 4th of July on the common ghost story. And the true history before the ghost story is back in the old days when people trusted people, they would set up the fireworks that were going to be lit before the night where they were going to be launched. So all the explosives were right there on the common. That's smart. (laughs) And some kids tampered with them. Like you do. Uh, Yeah. And the next day when the fireworks were going to be launched, thanks to the kids tampering, there was a malfunction. There was an explosion and some people died or got injured including the kids who had done the tampering. They were in the front row and they got blown up. I don't remember if they died or not, but that's the true story. The legend that extrapolated on top of that, once again, no attribution, but the story that has been around forever and people have claimed to see is three flaming child ghosts on the common. (gasps) Like on fire? So keep that in mind as we celebrate this country going down the toilet. Uh, yeah. That would be a wild and ghost. Thank to you see. to Nicole from Life and Death from that story. So, do we do we have any other last and final stories or tales about the paranormal? Here? Yes, this is my favorite ghost story of all time. Ooh, then I'm going to pause you for a second and let you cap off the episode with that and share one last one from our listeners. And this one was actually sent in via voice message. So Ooh. I don't even have to do the talking. So we have like a, a, a special secret guest. Somewhat. Yeah. A, 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 a disembodied voice. Oh yes. From the beyond who has from come, come to tell us of their experience. A voice from the ethers. He does have a name. Oh, and he also just had a baby. Oh. So congratulations. His name is Christian James. Is the baby seeing ghost yet? No, but the middle name is, is Salem. Oh, which is kind what? of cute. The middle name is Salem. Oh, I've got a bunch of cats named Salem. Little Abigail Salem. Oh, that's setting it up for trouble. I know. <laughs> Jeff's face. <laughs> <laughs> that poor baby. Of course, we are referring to Abigail Williams okay. of one of the first two girls in the Salem Witch Trials. Actually, maybe it was named after Abigail Hobbs. Yeah. Oh, oh actually, I do need you to fill our listeners in on what your crush is about oh, Abigail, Hobbs, Abigail Hobbs because Hobbs. you mentioned that in our last episode and we did she not was have a bad time. Girl. To <laughs> <laughs> Please do expand. Not right now. Hold on. No, no. <laughs> so Abigail. Abigail Hobbs, in my opinion, is one of the coolest people in the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, she was like the original goth girl. Like she actually went into the court and she had said all kinds of insane things. She made uh, allegation that she'd bewitched her own parents. And then her parents showed up and said she's just like a bad girl. She <laughs> talked about how she was personal friends with the devil. She danced naked in the woods with the devil. She did rituals with the devil. She loved the devil. 
And uh, she was a real dyed-in-the-wool witch. <laughs> and you know who did not get hanged? Abigail, Abigail Hobbs. I just love her story. So there's an interesting narrative under there, is that w- within the, the, the Puritan scope, I, I'm not sure anyone who admitted to being a witch got executed, because they could then all repent. Exactly. The only thing I will counter with is I believe uh, Samuel Wardwell did admit. And then he, he recanted. Had, yes, he had been telling fortunes, yes, 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 but yes, he yes, did yes. not see that things were going his way. Well, yeah. This makes me want to go into the, the feud between Roger Toothaker and Dr. Griggs. Oh. Yeah, because Roger Toothaker was like doing some folk medicine and witchy stuff. Now we will well, have he, to He see. dies in jail, though. He's not even, he doesn't even get a trial. Right, he does. But there's some evidence that Griggs was out to get him and was pursuing the witch narrative so his competing doctor would be out of uh, out of the way. Well, I'm not sure because, you know, Roger Toothaker's cousin was Martha Carrier, who was the queen of hell, of course. She certainly was. <laughs> but I think Abigail Hobbs, she would be, she'd be next in line. <laughs> next movie. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, Netflix. Who'd play her? Who's going to play Abigail Hobbs? Right right now? Do we have any any bit of a description of her? Do we, how old was she? I think she was about 16. Ooh, what if we could get like a young Winona Ryder? I want to do that horrible digital de-aging? No, no. Just find me a young Winona Ryder. But I mean, I think everybody's looking for young Winona Ryder. <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown. No. Why not? Stranger Things, she can ple- clearly play that. Oh. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I guess. I guess we were looking. She, what about that actress who's in the new Wednesday Addams series coming out? Ooh, I don't know who that, I, I don't know who she is visually in my head off the top. Of I head. don't know if she can act yet, yeah. but I think visually should have the right. Uh, Netflix, if you're listening, I want to produce her credit. <laughs> anyway, ghost story. Sarah, yes, what you got? I found it. I found it. From our friend in the ether <laughs> with a daughter named Abigail. Oh, my God. I hate to interrupt again, but there's actually several spiritualist texts and UFO type texts where they refer to the person being channeled as our friend or the universal friend. Like the Quakers? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, a lot of people use that language. Interesting. So our friend from the other side. So Howard Street Cemetery is actually Jessica and my favorite cemetery. Um, It's it's really weird. Whenever I walk into the main cemetery in the town, I I feel like I get a sense of like annoyance. And I know Jeffrey was talking about like he doesn't believe spirits are still there and, and that's fine. But I feel like they're annoyed that they're always being bothered and that they're always there. Yet Howard Street Cemetery, whenever I go in Howard Street, it feels like they're happy we're there. Like, because they're not, there's not a whole lot of foot traffic that goes there. Um, and funny story, my wife and I, I, we had, I proposed to her um, and we were getting married. Or actually, sorry, we had gotten married. And she came back because she went to the other side of the cemetery and she came back. She goes, do you know what I just said to the, told them all? I was like, you just told them that you got married and that you're excited. She goes, those are actually my exact words. How'd you know? I'm like, because that's what they told me. Wow. Crazy, right? That is pretty cool. And I, I feel like that that's a strange... So you can, I, you can look at that from a few angles, right? He knows her. She's conveyed to the spirits or the, the energy. And then the energy conveys to him a feeling and an understanding that he's already familiar with and that's why he knows you're already like connected yeah yeah so it's just like you got two bits of a triangle and someone's just like oh we're gonna create boom 
That's really cool. Like, I, th- I think that that's a nice connection. I think that sets up for a good future for the kid. Right. I think that's positive. Yeah. Like, and it, it kind of makes sense that when he's talking about how they're happy to see him, like when people ask me why Giles Corey is always so angry and in a lot of cases, when paranormal investigations are done, once we nail down who the spirit is, if it seems like a conscious one, a lot of time it goes away. Like it just wants to be recognized. It wants acknowledgement. It wants to be moved on. That opens up a whole other can of worms. I could be here for the next three hours about that. <laughs> but with Giles Corey, he's not letting go because we all talk about him all day Every long. Day. He cannot escape And some people tell the very true story about him. Some people tell totally made up stuff about him, but is any of it positive. Also in a real life, he was a nasty, nasty guy. But he was like, there's no Uh reason for Giles Corey to move on. Um, If anything, he probably loves sitting back and watching everyone talk about him. I just talk shit about him all the time. (laughs) So Christian actually sent us two cemetery tales and I just played for you the nice one. And then he's got a not-so-nice one that happened in Broad Street Cemetery. Let's let's hear not-so-nice. So So we've got—I love how we were able to tie in the Howard Street connection, but— Do you think the Broad Street interaction might be because those horrible people are buried there? The, like— The Corwins. Yes, so it is Corwin-related. Hey, Sarah. So, ghost story. So, Broad Street Cemetery— I actually have a book that I wrote based on all my hauntings, experiences, and travels and everything called Thank You for Ghosting Me. Um, (laughs) One day it may get published. I don't know. Anyway, so my wife and I are doing the tour, and we get to Bronx Street Cemetery, and before I walk into the grounds, it feels like I'm being, like, choked. And my wife's looking at me, and I'm not... I I don't know anything about it. I don't like researching things before I go do stuff. I'd rather just learn. Um, And I end up the guy next to the, our tour guide ends up saying, like, you know, the person that's supposedly here is not very happy and, like, strangled people or choked people or something like that. And my wife looks at me and she goes, are you, what's going on? I go, I feel like I'm being choked. It's really, really weird. Um, and then on that tour, I look over to my right and I see a shadow dash from headstones to another area. And I was like, okay, maybe it was a car. So I wait for a car to come back and we don't see anything. Um and then as I'm taking pictures of my wife in the cemetery, uh, we keep getting these weird, like, like they look like icicle orbs. We had them at the Ropes Mansion, too. And I still have the pictures. I can send them to you because I was trying to debunk them. But then when, we, when I asked them to stop following us, these orb-like things stopped uh, being in her pictures. So it was very weird. And then supposedly I think kids were murdered or buried there in unmarked graves or something like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's the go. That's really the only ghost stories I have in Salem. I don't really see or feel a whole lot when I'm there, besides like a little bit of sadness, um, you know, from certain locations and that kind of thing. Well, I, what I will say about that one is that there is folklore that. Uh, uh, that the Sheriff Corwin was the strangler. Uh, yeah. If you listen to the, uh, or read the Cahill books from way back when, allegedly they actually called him the strangler because that was his choice method of interrogation. And the fact that the stuff stopped when he asked it to, I like those stories. I would say those and, have a level of credibility to them. And, and 
I have also heard without getting too deep in the narrative of the merchant hotel and mm-hmm. the possible hauntings there of people experiencing uh, similar situations to what he's described at the merchant hotel, which was also the first burial site of the sheriff. Yes, indeed. Typically they'll experience the heavy weight on yep. the chest or the choking the throat or, constriction. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. There's also uh, the, as they walk up the front stairs, they feel the cold hand on the banister with them. Or were, the, the stone on the wall. Oh, yes. I've had two people have paranormal smoking-related instances on those stairs. We had a woman who described going up those front stairs. She usually would go around the back because she was somebody who had worked there back in the old days. But this one day, she chose to go up the front stairs, and she said it felt like some icy hand grabbed her ankle and he yanked her. And she went tumbling down the stairs and claimed she almost broke her neck. Oh, my God. So do we have, do we have time for one more quick story? Did I tell the story about the face in the window? No. At the uh, Grimshaw house? No. So to preface this, usually when people show me pictures from faces in the window, it's just junk. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times it's caused by the camera flash. It's caused by objects which are behind the window that we can't necessarily see until the flash illuminates it. And it's, we look for patterns. We look for faces. It's an evolutionary human thing. Matrixing. We, yes. Matrixing. Exactly. Yes. That's one of the terms for it. Yes. And it's why when everybody was wearing the masks for COVID, you knew that they still had a nose and mouth underneath it. You could kind of fill in the details. Like if we look at the clouds in the sky, we can interpret all sorts of wild things like the pepper elephant. <laughs> but that again, when, <laughs> so usually when people show me pictures of faces in the windows, I have to let them down gently. I don't like face in the window pictures because it's our imagination filling in the details. However, the Grimshaw house next to the Charter Street Cemetery, that's the old dilapidated, falling apart, once beautiful White House, that had been owned by Nathaniel Hawthorne's in-laws, the Peabody family. Mm -hmm. And the story goes when Hawthorne was courting his wife, Sophia, or Sophia, depending, um, he would go to that house. And he was supposed to be there to hang out with the family and get to know the family. And there is tons of evidence that Hawthorne spent a lot of the time in that house. He also wrote the book, Dr. Grimshaw's secret about it. Yes. And I believe he said there were giant spiders in that house. Yes. And it looks like there probably still would be. And especially with the name Grimshaw. Right. But the folklore has it is that instead of engaging with the family, he would just stare angrily out at the window, gazing at his ancestor, nasty old judge Hathorne. And he was fixated on the legacy of the witch trials and he felt shame and anger and he just couldn't stop looking at Hathorne's tombstone. I think there's probably some truth to that. So one day on an afternoon tour, a lady snapped a picture of the Grimshaw house, just because I was telling the story about the Grimshaw house. And she was shaken because she got a face in the window. My first reaction was to kind of like stifle an eye roll. I'm like, all right, I'll look at your face. <laughs> and she showed me the face. And seriously, I gasped. This thing is undeniable. I'll show you guys in a minute. Does it, it look like looks Hawthorne? like a face. It looks very, very angry, and it looks like Hawthorne when he was an older gentleman. He's got the big mustache and the big dome head. It looks so much like Hawthorne. And yes, you do have to imagine a little bit, but there's no way this is not 
something. It's not physical because I went back and I checked what was behind in the window. I checked the curtains. I checked snapping pictures, seeing if we could simulate it with the play of light and the tree shadows and all that. Absolutely not. We could not recreate this picture. And I was a little spooked. And coincidentally enough, like the day after that is when they chose to put the false facade windows on the bottom floor. And now we have cats and spiders. Right after this picture was taken, whoever currently owns that house chose to board up those windows. It's like whose ever face it was. If it was one. Hawthorne, knew that it was coming. Yeah, it was... One last look forlorn to his <laughs> his desperate Sophia. One last hateful look at Judge Hathaway, <laughs> which reminds me of another great ghost story about Judge Hathorn. This happened before any of us were born, but you can look up the records of it. Sometime in, I believe, the early 80s or the late 70s, somebody stole Judge Hathorn's tombstone. The tombstone was taken from the cemetery. People went there in the morning and were shocked the thing was gone. There was a big search for it. Nobody found it. And then a while later, that same stone ended up being dumped in the police station parking lot with like a little note on it saying that uh, we should have never taken this. Ever since we took this, all of our life has just turned to garbage. And these people were, they didn't confess who it was, but they left out a note profusely apologizing and saying that their run of bad luck and misery was because they'd stolen the Hathorne Stone. Yeah, look at that. I know that, of course, we've if you've been into Charter Street Cemetery, you'll see that his old stone is in that new stone. Yes, so, in the protective like, it's got case. That, yes, it's got that broken bottom there. This was and I had always been told that it was just kicked over. I didn't realize it was stolen. It had been briefly taken away. Mm. Wow. Hopefully never to return. <laughs> I love a good a good amount of cemetery decor, but I would not want Judge Hathorne's uh, stone in my home. Well, I wish the little chunk that had been found in my yard remained. Uh, that creepy house I mentioned I lived in, when one of the former tenants was doing gardening-type work, he turned up a piece of a stone, a headstone, which had a woman's name, and underneath it written was, and X, which we inferred to mean a baby who hadn't lived long enough to be named. And because from, this, from your yard? From the yard. And unfortunately, he just integrated it back into the yard and we can't find it again. But this stone is probably still under the dirt in my yard if you guys want to come and do some digging. I wouldn't mind that. Would we have time for the sideshow stuff? No. <laughs> oh. We don't, but. <sighs> I'll come back again. You will come back again. <laughs> we will be playing. Um, we'll end up playing. What you call it? So we're not yeah. going to be playing that Salemopoly game. People seem to be going no, but I really would love to play that game. And should I uh, say the gross ectoplasm tale? Probably not. No, no. I kind of want you to tell it. Are we not telling it? <laughs> oh, the young man. Yeah. Oh, good lord. Okay. Well, I, we can. Save I can that at least put time. it in bloopers or like extra, okay, 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 extra okay. content. This but, episode is going to be long. The other one's long, too. <laughs> I hope people like it. I hope so, too. <laughs> if I get no, I hate think, mail, you'll let me no, know. No, you're definitely not going to get hate mail. People are already very excited to hear from you. Oh, Multiple cool. people have said, like, I took a tour with him when I first came to Salem. I'm so excited. Oh, while we're here, do, do you guys want to see the face picture? Yes, 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 yes please. Yes, 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 yes. I so, need to see this. So first of all, 
Hawthorne yes. as an old man, right? Yes. Classic photograph of Nathaniel Hawthorne. You see what this in your mind looks like? Yes. Now. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. Look in the upper pane of the window. The left side. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is that not wild? And then scroll right or left. You can see I circled it so you can see it better. No, I don't need to see. I, yeah. It looks like a mustache and some very and bushy eyebrows. Big head and that wow. angry face. As far as I'm concerned, that is undeniable. That's like he's like like peering out the window. And so, you guys are some of the only folks I've shown that to because I don't want people stealing it. Well, thank you. But it's <laughs> so often like I, I see uh, um, the, the window, the looking out the window pictures, right? Oh, is there a face in the window? Yes. And I'm like. I don't know about you, and you know maybe if you're like an old person who just like doesn't have a lot of time, nothing better to do, right? And you're just gonna sit there and look out your window. But there's not a lot of people who just look out their window. But right? Hawthorne, Hawthorne did. But, Hawthorne did. But also that one kind of looks like he's like peering out the window. He's got his eye on something, right? Like he's looking. So many of these pictures, they're just like a oh, face in the window, <laughs> and you're like, guys, no one just sits in their window. And a lot oh. of the faces in the windows usually just look like those blank Halloween masks. Mm. That one clearly yeah. has details, distinctive details that match Hawthorne's like, face. Nobody so. else has to believe this, but in my opinion, we're looking at somebody. That's wild. So I do want to throw out just a very quick, like, 30-second recap of poor, murderous Mary, the elephant that I had mentioned briefly in the last episode. She was high on pepper. She was in, <laughs> This one, there was no pepper involved, um, although... No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> oh, do. I was going to say, although one could make the argument that she acted in a high pepper way. Oh. But, <laughs> um, turns out she was just injured, but we'll get to that. So long story short, um, this is early September of 1916. A gentleman gets hired. His name was Red Eldridge to work for Sparks World Famous Shows. And I'm sorry, Mike, we didn't get a chance to talk about your sideshow work. Oh, don't worry. Um, but that we will save for a future episode. So Red Eldridge gets hired to be an elephant keeper. He has never done this before. The next day, he gets hoisted up onto an elephant. They named her Mary, and she was going towards, apparently she was going towards a watermelon, like going off course, and he hit her with his... Hitting stick? Yeah, the one that has the hook on the end. Uh-huh. What's a what, bull hook. So he hit her with a bull hook to kind of wrangle her back in. She grabbed him with her trunk, threw him against the wall, and then stomped on his head. Hulk smash. Smushed it like a grape. Like the watermelon she was going for. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, of course, this was terrifying to anyone that sees it. And apparently the crowd just starts um, automatically shouting, kill the elephant, kill the elephant. Which, of course, back then, no surprise. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it today. But the response from the crowd prompted a local magistrate to basically issue an impromptu execution warrant. Did so, it even get a trial? No. So I had said in the last episode that they put it on trial for murder. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Okay. But it was sentenced to death by hanging by the neck. So. That was the court of public opinion. 
Yeah. So that place. (laughs) So they drove her by train to Unicoi County, Tennessee, from Sullivan County, quite a bit of ways, and hoisted her up by a crane. The first time it didn't work. She actually it broke. She fell down. Oh, that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? And they hoisted her up again. And yeah, it's absolutely atrocious story. That's, that's that's horrible. But I had to fill in the blanks. Okay. I'm glad you did. Now, do they see her ghost? <laughs> in Tennessee? Pepper everywhere. <laughs> that's all they see. If I get an elephant, I'm going to name him Pepper. <laughs> Which, ask your magician friend about the illusion called Pepper's Ghost. That's how a lot of the uh, fake seances did their thing. It all connects. All connects. I shall ask her these questions. Where do you keep your ectoplasm? (laughs) And tell me about Pepper's ghost. I think that's just about it. That was enjoyable. I had fun coming back. Yeah. We just had so much to talk about, yeah. and I feel like we could have gone on for hours and hours Oh, yeah, I have hours. more good ghost stories. Part six, part seven, part yeah. nine. <laughs> there, were, there will be many more to come, yeah. for sure. Uh, well, that was great. Uh, so thank you, Mike, for, for your expertise on, on the paranormal. Thank you for having me. I, I, if I had prepared notes, I would have been able to go in more scientific depth. <laughs> I think you did plenty well in that in that regard. Well, thank you for having me. I, we covered I almost any and all subjects. Now and, let's go uh, ghost hunting. Yeah, we will get um, so, some EMF readers and sneak into the bearing points. I'm kidding. Oh, I didn't We're, even talk about EVP, my favorite, the electronic <laughs> voice phenomena. <laughs> next time, next time, next time. Um, but with that, uh, I'm sure we will have you back again, Mike. So thank you. In our next episode, we're going to be keeping things kind of spooky and talking a little bit about murder. Death by elephant. (laughs) Ah, Maybe a candlestick. Club, knife, rope. We'll get there. Don't worry about it. But until then, uh, make sure you like, subscribe, and tell a few of your friends. Follow us on all the socials. We are at Salem the Podcast. And send us an email, hello, at SalemThePodcast.com. And of course, if you are visiting Salem, be sure to book a tour with either Sarah or myself. Links to both of those are in the show notes. And if you're looking for a ghost tour, check out spellboundtours.com. There you go. Feel free to send us your ghost photographs to (laughs) Dr. Vitka at spellboundtours.com. Most will be debunked, but occasionally a good one slips in. Hey, it's worth a shot. And remember, we are still collecting ghost stories. So if you've had a paranormal experience here in Salem, we would love to hear from you. On that note, thanks for listening. See you later. At first, I almost cut out like a chunk of the Star Trek talk. Uh huh. But then, before I did, because I didn't want it, it's hard to just take stuff out because mm-hmm. sometimes we reference the flow it. And, and all yeah, that. exactly, exactly. So then I found myself actually listening to <laughs> what you said. Ooh. And it all, like, it, because it made sense. At first, I just shut my brain off. A lot of it did not make sense at all. You <laughs> abbreviated whatever that. Um, TNG. Yes. Like, I would know. It's not my era. So. Watch uh, Strange New Worlds. See? I've heard that's good. I haven't. It is yet, good. But I've Nothing. heard very good things. Nothing.
Yeah, give it a chance. I I will. I've been themes are timeless. Yeah, there, there's a there's a season. Sorry, there's an episode, I think season one, season two, so this is like 89, 90, and they go to this planet, and all the people there have been genetic copies of like just over and over. And, and they're running out of material. And they're running out of material, so that their DNA is no longer copyable. Oh. So they're dying out and they like intend or kidnap the crew of uh, the Enterprise and they turn around and start like killing these motherfuckers and like phasing them. They're like, you can't take people's bodily autonomy without their permission. Like literally like 1990. And the, the abortion episode where that space thing gets Troy pregnant yes. and the whole crew gathers around to figure out what they're going to do with it and in the end it's like, she's just like, it's my decision. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Picard's like, we have to respect her decision. <laughs> that era... Like that's third wave feminism right yeah, there. Yeah. And you will appreciate all the awful eighties outfits in the early episode. Love them. Oh the, the, the to be fair, you could almost be in, in a season one outfit at the moment if you yeah, oh, the planet where they go. If that was in white Yeah, you could be on like that weird planet where Wesley steps on the grass and they want to kill him for that little infringement. Oh, no yeah. grass. Get off the grass. It's like in a cemetery. 